Welcome to In Conversation, an Investec-focused radio podcast series that offers insights into a wide range of topics that will empower our clients to create, manage, preserve, and grow their wealth. Recently, Investec held an In Conversation roadshow around South Africa with a panel of experts who shared learnings from their own financial journeys. They also gave insights into everything from investment portfolio diversification to writing a will. The panel was hosted by Nozipo Shabalala and included Jill Anthony from Investec Tax and Fiduciary, Tracy Ward from Investec Life, and Dorothy, a summoning from Investec Wealth and Investment. Let's listen into the panel discussion from our Cape Town event. We absolutely understand that women are not a homogenous group. And even as I stand here on stage, everybody looks so different. And so the intent of this panel discussion that we're now going to be having is how do we lift that difference and how do we lift that nuance as an opportunity to learn from each other, right? Um, We also understand that as we think about, you know, how do we uh, support women to become more confident in making financial decisions and investment decisions in their families, that it maybe very well that there are women in this audience who are already doing that. And so we also want to learn from you and how do we make that pathway visible for even more women. You might hear some reference to data, you might reference hear reference to stats and research. And the reason why we do that is that we bring data into the conversations because it helps us to ask better questions. So as um, we were hearing earlier on um, that uh, women, are, for example, are starting to live longer than men, We want to be able to ask, what is the quality of that life? And how do we make sure that women have achieved their financial goals so that living longer also means living wealthier, if I can use that example. When we hear, for example, that women, uh, there's a percentage of women that uh, lack in terms of their confidence around investment decisions, we want to ask the question, how do we close that confidence gap? So, Again, the stats are not meant to isolate, uh, but really meant to give us a way and a pathway to asking better questions. So the women that I'm about to invite on stage are real experts, uh, but they're also real women with real lived experiences and real stories. So we're not just going to be tapping into their expertise. We're also just going to be tapping into how they How did they go about wealth creation and wealth preservation so that we're really learning from each other's stories? I'm going to start off by inviting Jill Anthony. Let's give her a round of applause as she comes up. Come on up, Jill. And uh, Jill joined uh, the Investec Tax and Fiduciary offering in 2017, right at the inception. She's an admitted attorney specializing in cross-border tax, um, estate planning for private clients, and many other areas. And so we've had an absolute, um, really amazing journey uh, through various cities across the country that brings us now to this last conversation together in Cape Town. Joining us on stage as well is Tracy Ward. Let's give Tracy a big round of applause. Um, Tracy is stepping into this conversation with 25 years experience in the finance industry. She must have have started at 10. She has (laughs) a passion for holistic financial planning, including wealth creation and protection. So she's going to be telling us all about that. And uh, rounding us up is uh, Dorothy Asomaning. Let's give Dorothy a big round of applause. Other than doing a really amazing rendition of Irreplaceable by Beyonce, uh, which she did with me earlier today, 
she is a, a wealth and investment specialist, and she really focuses on local and offshore investment solutions for high net worth individuals as well as families. So thank you very much, uh, Dorothy, for being here. So I have said to the audience that we are going to be having real conversations with real women and real stories, and I've said that this is a safe space so we can ask absolutely anything and everything. So my very first question is, what's the worst financial mistake you've ever, ever made, right? So let me, see where, let me start with Dorothy today because you're literally shaking your head. So Dorothy, what's the worst thing you've, you've ever done when you think about the financial decisions you've made? All right, first of all, it's an honor to be here and uh, we can all be vulnerable tonight. I remember at the early onset of my career, I was told that I needed to build up a credit record. <laughs> yes. And I said, say no more. <laughs> went out and I got myself a few too many retail store accounts. And unbeknownst to me, these came at very high interest rates. I'm talking north of 20% a couple of years ago. And I found myself paying so much back in interest and in these monthly installments. And I questioned the hundreds of clothes in my wardrobe that still had the tags on. And the novelty of twirling around in a confetti of price tags had quickly worn off at that time. And so I realized that on one end, I'm saving money, thinking I'm doing the right thing. But on the other end, I'm paying a whole lot in interest. Mm. And so it really isn't wise to be spending money in high interest bearing um, uh, credit facilities while you're trying to save on the other end. So mm. that's something that I am not proud of. And I hope I'm not the only one in the room. Let's, let's make our way to you, Tracy. The worst mistake that you've made? So at the age of 17, I started working straight off to school. And um, I was persona non grata to any bank, any lending institution. But I knew by the time I'm 18, they're going to come calling for credit cards. And I couldn't wait. And I got my first credit card. And I thought the limit was a target. <laughs> um, and needless to say, that was obviously an incredibly expensive lesson because nobody told me I actually had to pay this credit card back. Um, and so I am petrified of any short-term debt at the moment or credit cards. Mm. Um, so that was my biggest mistake. Jill, worst financial decision you've ever made? So since this is a safe space, I'll admit, <laughs> some of my bad financial decisions are ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm an impulsive shopper. So the moment I see a pretty dress, my budget's out the window, firstly. Secondly, and my mom can attest to this, annually I buy a really expensive wig, which I don't wear nearly enough. <laughs> but my absolute worst financial decision was that when I bought my car, I got it with a balloon payment. Mm. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. And I went along with someone who I assumed was more financially savvy than me. And only once I attended an Investec financial wellness discussion, which we had at work the one day, I realized, oh, my God, I made a really, really big, bad decision. You've raised something that I want to test with you, Tracy. Jill talks about arriving at a seminar, a similar setting to this two weeks later. <laughs> and the question to you is, how do we get to a point where we're making the right decisions around our journey towards financial independence and financial freedom, because the reality is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. 
And you could have an experience like Jill where you find out a bit too late. So how do we reconcile that reality? A financial advisor really is somebody that will, that you can resonate with, who's prepared to sit down and talk to you and give you the answers mm. that you're looking for. And to have the chutzpah to say to you, look, you actually, I don't know how to answer that question, but I'm going to find it for you and mm. I'll come back to you. Dorothy, let's talk about wealth creation. And in particular, what I'm interested in at this point is your personal recipe for wealth creation. How did you go about it as you think about you know, this is what I want to build for myself, for my family. What did you do? The fact that you're in a position to earn an income is a huge advantage. And personally, I told myself that every bonus that I receive is just that, a bonus. And the number could be anything. So in my mind, it's always 60% of what I receive as a bonus is what I have access to. The other 40, I close my eyes and I pretend like it's not there. So that was the first thing I started doing. And that aspect of living below your means is extremely powerful. Because I remember Albert Einstein is the one that said that um, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Those that understand it, earn it. And those mm. that don't, pay it. Mm. Those that don't is me. <laughs> so I started building my reserves by, you know, accepting a lower amount in my mind. That was a discipline that I built in. And I said, that's only going to use about 60% of my bonuses and try to live a little bit low, below your, your monthly income as well. Mm. We often also hear increasingly that we should be thinking about wealth protection mm. at the same time and that the two um, go hand in hand. As you think about wealth protection, what are the basics that you think we need to have in place as we think about how we're protecting what we're growing? So the way I like to think about it is like a cultivation cycle. So when you plant a seed, when your crop grows, when you harvest it, when you preserve it, at each step you need to think about whether you have the relevant measures in place to protect that asset. So if we had to bring it into life, for example, when you start a business, when you get into a relationship, when you have a child, when you retire or change jobs, you need to think about the legal and financial ramifications of that change and each step and whether you have the appropriate safety nets in place. Mm. And something we like to push to the bottom of our list is estate planning. Now, some of us in this room may think that we're too young or we don't have enough assets to have a will. Some of us may have a will, but it's somewhere gathering dust. We don't know what it says. We don't know where it is. Or we have a will and we're on top of things, but when we pass away, will our loved ones have access to our passwords? Will they know where our policies are? Will they know where our investments are? So in my view, estate planning is the golden, golden thread that ties wealth preservation together. So for example, if you don't have a will in place, you will pass away intestate. So that means essentially the laws of intestate succession will govern who your assets goes to and in what proportions. If you do have a will in place, you need to ensure that it's valid and updated at every major life step. So if that's asset acquisition, having a child, immigration or divorce. And if we had to speak about divorce for a second, a lot of people don't know that once you've gotten divorced, you have three months to change your will. And if you pass away after that three months, the courts will deem it that you wanted your ex to inherit. So that's quite substantial. And as concerns children, children don't have legal capacity to inherit. So you need to ensure that you have the appropriate measures in place. Mm. Um, I read a statistic the other day that upon the second generation, 70% of the wealth is lost. And upon the third, 90% of wealth is lost. So estate planning really is the golden thread that ties everything together. Tracy, a quick comment. 
on your own approach to wealth creation and protection. So we want to pull the threads together. The only way to get rich quickly, right, is to marry a rich man. So I made a mistake and married for love twice. (laughs) But what I've realized is that You know, we all want to get to the sexy stuff. We all want to talk about how do I get rich? Where do I invest? How do I I make money from the little bit of surplus that I do have? If you do not have an income earning capacity, there can be no surplus. There can be no wealth. And if I could just ask you to quickly grab your cell phone very, very quickly and navigate to, to your calculator, I want to just give you a snapshot, assuming you never have another increase and you never have a bonus, but inflation is also not... A reality, okay? Just type into your calculator 65 less your current age and times that by 12. Can somebody just shout out a number for me? Okay, so whatever that number is, that is the number of paychecks you've got until retirement, okay? Now times that by your net monthly income. So the one we all know about, the one we wait for on the 25th, 22 million. So I can't work backwards. I have no idea what you earn, but between now and that lady's retirement age, her income earning capacity without the bonuses increases inflation is 22 million. Okay, if we are not protecting that, and I'm sure you would agree to me right now, that is your biggest wealth. If we are not protecting that, Quite frankly, can I say we screwed? So let me then jump over to you, Dorothy. Let's just talk a little bit about debt. Mm -hmm. And in particular, how do we squash it? Because I think we all know that we want to, you know, we want to find a way of getting a handle on that debt. What's your personal strategy? So I would say that you want to start with the highest costing and most short-term debt. Get rid of those credit cards and those naughty retail store accounts like I did. If it helps to consolidate it, in a way that you're able to get a favorable term where you are paying on a monthly basis, but you're actually addressing several different problems, then that's probably the first step. And then once you've got that out of the way and you've created some you know, leeway and breathing space in your disposable income, you can start looking at your longer term debt, like your bond, and try to plow as much as possible into your bond as you can. I've always wondered whether it's a good idea to cash out my retirement savings to pay off my home loan. What are your thoughts? Trace. Mine. Yeah. So, so tax. First of all, tax. You're going to be paying an excruciating amount of tax. Mm. Secondly, it's going to be very difficult to earn back what you've already put in. Mm. Okay, so what you've done is you've taken potentially this amount of savings, you've taken that away and you've actually created a hole. Mm. Now what you've got to do is you've got to get out there yeah. and get to the same position. Okay. Um, so no, I don't think you should be doing that. Okay, so let me jump to Joe. I want to shift gears and I want us to talk about marriage uh, for a second. Maybe just walk us through the main marital regimes and the, their consequences uh, for women as we think about you know, how we get married and what happens if we decide to get divorced or if our partners pass away. Sure. So at the onset, I'd like to say that this applies to both same-sex and heterosexual couples. Um, But the default marital regime in South Africa is being married in community of property. And that essentially means we share everything 50-50. And that doesn't just apply to assets, it's also debts. Mm. So you're jointly and severally liable for debts. Um, And importantly, uh, traditional marriages... Once you've put negotiations have been done and you've celebrated and Nozi likes to say you've put on your colorful clothes. Yeah, the heritage outfit is done. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) you are technically married in community of property unless you've 
concluded a different contract. Now, something that we don't think about when we're married in community of property is that when a partner passes away, the joint estate is frozen. So you need to ensure that during that period, you have liquidity to cover your living expenses. So be that a policy, be that a joint account offshore, or be that cash under the mattress, you need to have a solve. Mm. On TV, we often hear about the concept of a prenup. So in a South African context, that would mean being married out of community of property, either with the crew or without a crew. So if you're married out of community of property with the crew, that means that everything I came to this marriage with is mine, but everything we grow together, we share. If you're married without a crew, that means it, uh, without a crew, that means everything I came to this marriage with is mine um, and everything I grow, I leave with. Now, I don't know if many of you saw the constitutional court decision that was handed down earlier on this in this month, but essentially courts can now order a redistribution agreement um, of assets if you are married um, without accrual. Mm. And the reason for that is, is obviously that there's discrimination and often the female tends to be the disadvantaged spouse. Uh, that doesn't mean that your antinuptial contract is not worth the paper that it's written on. It's very fact dependent and the court will take into a number of circumstances. Now, then I'd like to move on to what I love to call fat and sit. <laughs> now, essentially where we move in together and now all of a sudden we are in a common law marriage. Now, it's important, guys. There's no such thing as a common law marriage. It is a mythical creature. But life partnerships are recognized and you do have certain rights, but you aren't quite on the same footing as persons that are married. So if I had to give you an example, if I was in a life partnership um, and we were to break up, I would have no entitlement to maintenance. Mm. Or if my partner was to pass away, I wouldn't have any entitlement to pen their pension, yeah. whereas in certain marital regimes you would. So it's very important to ensure that you have the correct safety net in place. And what's good for life partners is to consider having a cohabitation agreement in place. And lastly, and I promise this is the last point, it's important that there are certain marriages which aren't recognized in South Africa today as unconstitutional as that may be. For example, being married in terms of Hindu or re religious rights. Mm. So it's really important that you get the appropriate advice and um, get an antinuptial contract in place. I must say one of the things I've learned on this uh, roadshow that we've taken around the country is this whole concept of a cohabitation agreement. Uh, so none of this, it's so cute, let's, live, let's just move in together. Um, let's have an agreement uh, while we're doing that. But just before I move on from you, Jill, very quickly, which is more important, the marriage contract or the will? So assuming that your partner has passed, which of these two documents is going to take precedence or take priority? I think that's an excellent question, Nozi, and the marital regime will take precedence. So essentially, let's assume I'm married in terms of in community of property and my husband wants to leave his assets to his floozy. Now, <laughs> thankfully, during the estate winding up process, 50% will be allocated to me and his 50% will be dealt with in terms of his will. Or, for example, if you're married out of community of property with the cruel, um, when the estate is being wound up, an accrual claim will be set aside for me during that mm. process. Sure. So the messaging is landing loud and clearly. One of the aspects we haven't touched on in the conversation, Dorothy, is the question of 
where do we invest? We know that we should have an investment portfolio. Where do we start? And, and maybe you can just talk us through again, where did you start? You know, how did you approach this thing that, oh, I need to be invested? Sure, Nozi. So it's really important to start by deciding what you want to achieve. For example, you might have short-term goals that you want to achieve, goals you might want to achieve in the midterm, and then longer-term goals. So your short-term goals might involve having a little kitty where you're saving for December holidays or for that trip that your girls have been planning for some time. And then, you know, you want to have that money accessible to you. So a liquidity bucket to cater for that. And anything under two years is considered for us as short-term. Then in your medium-term bucket, you might be saving towards a big deposit for a house or, you know, children that are going to be going to private school soon, so you want to cater for that. And maybe your bigger ticket items you want to save for in the medium term. And then lastly, you want to think about long-term investments where your time horizon is a little bit elongated. And these are investments where you're not going to be accessing it in the short term. And I think a lot of people think that they're diversified because, oh, I've got a little bit of money at this bank and at that bank, but you're actually just sitting in cash and your money is only earning interest. Your capital is not growing. And in order for your capital to grow, you might have to take a little bit more risk and have a slightly longer runway so that you're able to withstand the volatility that comes with capital growing assets. Mm. So that's the first thing. Understand what your buckets are and what your objectives are in those time horizons. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. Trace, your, your thoughts on how to invest and where to be invested? You know, the different ways of, of creating wealth. Um, we've spoken about debt settlement. You know, that is incredibly important. Um, debt in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, it's how you treat that debt and how quickly we can settle that. You know, if you're having a look at your bond, for example, uh, we're sitting with an annual interest rate of 11.75% at the moment. And unless the interest rate cycle changes and goes down, that's going to be year on year for a foreseeable future. There will be very few investments that can give you 11.75% guaranteed net of fees on a regular basis. So what we often do is pay what the bank is due, um, you know, in the minimum installment. And we then take the other money that we've got surplus and we go and invest that money or put into a savings account. But very often the interest we're getting or the growth that we're getting is much lower than what we're paying. So it's still costing you money. So you're yeah. not really going anywhere. just want to squeeze a question in for you, Jill, and that's the question of the trusts. When do you get a trust and under what conditions does it make sense? In my experience, on the weekend, when we're having a bride and a glass of wine with our friends, everyone becomes a certified tax practitioner. <laughs> and that standard advice is get a trust. Mm. Now, I'd say that in as much as a trust can yield a lot of benefits, they also come with a sizable price tag and a generous amount of administration and compliance. So you really need to assess whether your facts and circumstances make sense with regards to setting a trust. And importantly, taking into account the amount of funds that you're going to be contributing to this trust, given the costs, because the last thing you want is capital erosion. Mm. So you need to ensure that the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm. So earlier on, I mentioned that children don't have legal capacity. And if I could just flesh that out a little bit. So essentially, if you don't make provision in your will for minor children or your child to inherit, essentially their funds will go to the guardian's fund, which is a government administered fund. And at age 18, they get absolutely everything. 
So in as much as sometimes we focus on preserving the wealth, sometimes we also need to protect our children from that wealth. Wealth can also ruin, very easily ruin a child. Mm. Okay. So a way to get around this is to, in your will, create a, a trust, and that's called a testamentary trust, or create a, a trust during your lifetime. And in that manner, you'll have trustees who will, ad, who will administer the trust funds in the best interest of the minor child and to ensure that they don't squander the funds on Ferraris or bad partners or whatever the case may be. But having said that, please ensure that you get appropriate advice from suitably qualified persons taking into account your bespoke facts and circumstances. Dorothy, there's a very real possibility that there might be a few people walking out here tonight going, okay, that was higher grade, so let me just keep my life as is. Let's just keep it moving. What's the cost of doing nothing after, sure. after an evening like tonight? <laughs> yeah. There's a big price tag to doing nothing, Nazi. The first one that I'd like to highlight is inflation, that little caterpillar that comes and eats away at the real value of your money. And it's something that you can't see on your statement. You can feel it when you go shopping, but it's this arbitrary thing that one doesn't really perceive. But really, if you went and viewed a home, you know, in a beautiful leafy green suburb and you saw the price, like I can afford this in a year's time. Trust me, when you come back in a year or two, that house is not worth what it was two years ago. And that's inflation. When you've done nothing to grow your money, it goes backwards in real terms. Mm. Then the other cost is the opportunity cost, which if we remember from Ecos 101, is the highest value for Not a good memory, gone. but <laughs> all is well. It's the highest alternative option for gone. I mean, if you're not invested in the market, you're losing out on potential growth in your portfolio. So really sitting back and thinking that you're invested when you're just sitting in cash is a mistake that I've made. Mm. And I'd like to highlight that you want to have the conversation around how you should be investing, mm. where you should be putting your money for growth because there's an opportunity cost to not doing anything. So I want you to think of a hashtag. Now, a hashtag is really tough. It's not a billboard. It's not a, it's not a you know, anything long. It's literally a couple of words in a hashtag. And this hashtag must capture the hope you have for women who are wanting to become financially free. What is the hashtag that you would come up with that you would say, for women who are financially free, this is the thing that I think will inspire them. Jill, what's your hashtag for tonight? Hashtag take financial responsibility, girl. Fabulous. I love it. Tracy, what's your hashtag? I've actually decided this is going to be my next tattoo. Oh, wow. Um, and it's hashtag discipline is freedom. I would say hashtag do today something your future self will thank you for. Lovely. That's uh Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Investec in Conversation, our thought leadership series that offers insights into relevant topics impacting our clients. For more episodes and thought-provoking discussions that empower you to create, manage, preserve, and grow your wealth, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Private Banking, a division of Investec Bank Limited, a registered credit provider committed to the code of banking practice as regulated by the Ombudsman for Banking Services.